Hi, I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the fourth trimester podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, welcome back to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm Sarah Trott, and I'm here with special guest Lori Eisenstedt. I want to remind all of our listeners that we have a Facebook page, which I would encourage you to go to and like and check it out. We share amazing stuff all the time. Um, also, go to our website, which is fourthtrimesterpodcast.com, and sign up for our newsletter if you haven't done that yet. We're also asking anyone listening to uh, consider giving us a dollar per episode by signing up as a sponsor on Patreon. We have so few sponsors. Um I, it probably sounds like we have a lot of sponsors. We actually don't. So anyone who actually went to our page would probably laugh. It's pretty um, almost comical. But please do that if you're willing to consider doing that. That would be most helpful for Esther and myself. Um, so I want to just focus on Lori for a moment and tell you a bit about her and why we're so excited to have her on the program. So Lori Eisenstedt is an international board certified lactation consultant. She has spent much of her adult life working in the maternal health field. When she became turned on to birth and became a childbirth educator, there was no stopping her love of working with families during their childbearing years. Lori became a birth doula and postpartum doula and soon became an IBCLC. In 2007, she founded her private practice, All About Breastfeeding, where she meets moms one-on-one to help solve their breastfeeding challenges. Lori provides office, hospital, home, and Skype consults. All of this has led to All About Mothering, which is a membership site that helps moms navigate their journey for pregnancy through their postpartum days. I mean, this is the kind of thing that would be great to check out, even if you're even maybe thinking about having children. Um, And definitely in the pregnancy stage, if that's where you're at, this would be a good time to go and, and look at her site and sign up. Lori uh, is an international speaker. She's a book author. She's the host of the popular iTunes podcast, All About Breastfeeding. So definitely um, subscribe to her show as well. And it's known as The Place Where the Girls Hang Out. I love that. Uh, You can find out more about her work and her membership by going to allaboutmothering.com. And you can reach Lori via email at allaboutmotheringatoutlook.com. So Lori, hi, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I, as a fellow podcaster, I found out about your show about six months ago and have been a fan ever since. (laughs) Well, we are such a fans of your program as well. Um, And you have just a wealth of episodes. And I think you could probably, like if someone had a specific question about breastfeeding, they could probably get in touch with you and you could point them to one of over 200 episodes, it looks like, um, to really kind of hone in on their specific need. How would you how would you describe your journey just briefly to getting where you are today? And I started on this journey with like many other people with the birth of my first child. It just seems to be this epiphany that that just or this whole world that opens up for some of us in the birth field. And I I had an okay experience with my first baby with birth, but 
I remember saying after that, I I want to have more babies, but I really don't want to do it that way again. So I started learning and researching and joined groups. And I wound up, I had my first baby born in a hospital and I had taken childbirth classes and breastfeeding classes in the hospital and realized after the fact that they were not the best classes. The childbirth classes taught me how to be a good hospital patient and the breastfeeding classes had a lot of information that was old and or didn't work. And then if it didn't work for me, what else could I do? How else could I help myself? From that, I became a childbirth educator, a birth doula, postpartum doula. And when I moved from New York to Arizona, I was planning on opening up my own private practice of, of childbirth education like I did in New York, and I was successful with that. But I realized that it would take me time, and I was interested in, in a place where I wanted to get going right away and make money right away. So I accepted a position in a local hospital teaching childbirth education, and there is where I met my first IBCLC. Now, this is in 1998. And I looked at her and I thought, what is an IBCLC? I didn't even really know other than the volunteer organization La Leche League. And in my childbirth classes, I had been helping moms with the basics. But more than that, I didn't know. And long story short, she wound up taking me under her wings. I wound up apprenticing with her for two years and I became an IBCLC. I continued to work in two large city Phoenix hospitals. And I also worked in a very large uh, breastfeeding clinic in Phoenix. And in 07, I left both places and opened up my own private practice as a lactation consultant called All About Breastfeeding, where I currently do that now. And I see moms, they come to my home office. I go to their homes. I meet them in hospitals. And I also do Skype consults because some moms don't want to get out of the house or can't get out or live in rural communities where they don't have access to be able to see someone one-on-one. -on -one. So that's my journey into becoming a lactation consultant. And then we're going to talk more about all about mothering, because when you're in this birth space, you realize that as women, we need help with a lot more in addition to the breastfeeding, which is what I specialize in. I, I just, I'm curious, do you meet with women who are pregnant to discuss breastfeeding or do you, are is like the vast majority of people that you talk to after they've had their baby? I would say about 80% is the moms after they've had their baby, 20% is before and that 20%, I would love to make that 100% because I think, <laughs> because they, and I teach breastfeeding classes also, but I also think a private consult is so helpful to really individualize a plan for mothers because a lot of mothers, like we don't know what we don't know. And oftentimes there are issues that are not known, understood, or caught by their uh, by their care providers, such as insufficient glandular tissue. So some people, they're having their breasts checked, but they have no idea that their breasts may have not enough glandular tissue and 
to make enough milk. There might be inverted nipples, flat nipples, which cause challenges. There also might be some abuse issues that they've had, medication that they're taking. They just, some moms, we are just like, just high anxiety about the whole breastfeeding thing. We hear about friends who have had a hard time and they've had a lot of pain. And we, so we have fears concerned. And I'm just, you know, suggesting a couple of reasons, a bunch of reasons actually why a mom might want to see someone privately before. And probably the biggest reason is any mother who has had a baby can probably appreciate this best in that after we have our baby, there are so many things going on that if you are in crisis mode, like I was in crisis mode after my first baby with breastfeeding. And while I didn't have the internet then, it was still like, where do I find the time? Where do I even begin to look? And now I'm going to like call up a strange person who I'm not even used to showing my breast to anybody. And now I'm going to meet someone for the first time and in five minutes be showing them my breast and have them be in this intimate space with me and my baby. And so there's just so much that makes it more difficult in reaching out for unknown help afterwards, time-wise and that kind of thing. So I think that there's just many good reasons to meet with someone beforehand and probably Probably out of that 20%, 15% are moms who have already had their baby. They struggled the first time, and now they've realized the the uh, goodness in being proactive and preparing and making those connections ahead of time. So they're, they're like really on it. Like this time, I'm going to make XYZ changes, and they reach out for help and, and ask for a consult. Yeah, so loud and clear, the message coming through is, Anyone who's expecting a baby, maybe, maybe talk to someone now. I mean, even if you don't fall into one of those categories that, that Lori, that you've just mentioned, like, you know, and you just, maybe you just think like, I don't know if I can breastfeed or not. I have some questions or I just assume everything will be fine. Like it wouldn't hurt. You've got the time now. Uh, I remember what it was like with a newborn. I didn't leave the house for um, a period of days. And, you know, any help that I was getting was, was people coming to my house. So like the time to, to sort of be that organized, busy bee, taking care of everything before baby comes, it's like the perfect time just to go and have a 20 minute phone call or, or chat with someone. Um, I mean, it just sounds like the, there are some huge potential benefits. And if it's, if you don't get anything out of it, I mean, Hey, it was just like 20 minutes, but it could be, um, it could have a major impact on the success that you have with breastfeeding and, and even your mentality about it. Um, I remember having the question in my head, like, I don't even know if I can breastfeed. Am I going to make milk? I mean, these are probably, I mean, I'm assuming they're maybe common questions that people have, you know, regardless of any health issues or, or any of the things that you mentioned. Yeah, because I think when before we get pregnant, we just assume everything's going to work out nicely and we're going to have a fairly good, healthy pregnancy. And some of us certainly do. And then some of us start to see that there are some problems. We have a hard time getting pregnant. We have miscarriages or we have a, a pregnancy where we're spending it not just in morning sickness, but what I call morning, noon and night sickness. And we start to get the vibes like, hmm. Not all this stuff that I just assumed was going to go fairly smoothly is going fairly smoothly. And then moms start to get it into their head, understandably so. 
what about this breastfeeding thing? Should I, is there things that like would be a nice to, a need to know beforehand? Maybe I shouldn't assume all that's going to go so nice and smoothly. And, and maybe, maybe it will, maybe with some really good practical advice beforehand that can really help me afterwards. So things can go smoothly. Yes. And I like the point you're making about planning things ahead of time. And, um, I, I would imagine you probably speak to this on the all about mothering, uh, uh, services that you have and and your website, but, um, it kind of applies to more than just thinking about breastfeeding. Would you say that's fair? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk, we've talked on other programs, um, episodes of our show about other things you can consider while you're pregnant because you're going to have that lack of time, but everything from maybe checking in on um, mental health issues, like making sure you have the phone numbers and resources of people you can call if you're, you know, wanting that kind of support or um, setting up your plans for feeding yourself, <laughs> thinking about friends and neighbors who can help you in, in lots of neat ways, um, picking up groceries, walking your dog, whatever it may be. Um, so, okay, breastfeeding then. You mentioned some of the things that, that can maybe drive whether or not a woman can breastfeed or not. If you have anything to add there, please do. Otherwise, I'd really be interested to hear kind of what are the most typical issues that come up when breastfeeding doesn't necessarily go as, as people might imagine. We could start from the very beginning, which is right after you have your baby, mm-hmm. that for some one reason or another that your baby is not breastfeeding well. So you don't get off to a good start. Either it's a baby thing or a mommy thing. And I think one of the things in talking about preparing, which is a huge shock for some women, one out of 10 babies are born premature. And we don't expect to give birth to a premature baby. And some babies, depending upon the degree of prematurity, have difficulties with the early days of breastfeeding. So here you have a mom now who she certainly is in shock because she did not expect to give birth to 34 weeks. She has a very healthy perhaps baby, but is a little four pounder and who is lacking some of the ability that they need to breastfeed. And with new babies, sometimes it's their, their sucking reflex. They tire easily the fatty pads in their cheeks called buckle pads are not fully developed, so they cannot main good suction. So one of the things that happens is that babies might be born too early and there might be health issues that preclude them from breastfeeding. There might be something on the mom's end, a postpartum hemorrhage, or maybe she's in severe pain and she's not able to sit up or get in a position that makes her comfortable. Maybe her baby, there's been separation and her baby's been in the nursery for a while. Or maybe everything is, you know, she had a a wonderful birth, everything is normal and full-term healthy baby, but they're struggling with breastfeeding. Sometimes, depending upon where you give birth, they understand this and give you the time to work on breastfeeding. And other times they are very quick to start pushing, supplementing your baby with formula, either with a bottle, with a spoon, with a syringe. 
And so that's like the first time right in the beginning where sometimes we just get off to a hard start. Perhaps moms, the babies are breastfeeding and they feel like things are going well. But two or three days later, once they get home, they realize that it's hurting them a lot. Sometimes it was hurting from the very beginning, but they didn't really realize it because they were taking pain medication. And as they, you know, they didn't need pain medication for the long term. So after their three or four days of pain pills are gone, they're now on their third or fourth day and real and now feeling pain in certain areas. And one of them is their nipples where they weren't feeling pain before. So they, those are very common scenarios and where things might get off to a hard start. And anybody who knows me heard, heard my podcast or takes classes with me, they just know that one of my many mantras is breastfeeding is not supposed to hurt. So if it's hurting on day one, something isn't right. If it's hurting on day two, there's definitely not something right. And if it's still hurting on day three, my mantra is that's when you get help. Don't continue at home waiting, doing what I did, crying. My nipples are getting worse. They're cracked. They're bleeding. I'm still trying. And now every time my baby's crying to feed, I'm also crying at the thought of feeding her because I know it's going to cause me pain. Yeah, that pain is real. Um, and the pain exists. Um, it sort of happens after, of just a few, after just a few days, right? Um, that's what it intensifies for most people. Yeah, some moms, incredibly enough, some moms, it happens right away. And that is a really, 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 like I say, it's like sirens going off. It definitely means something is way off and they should not stand for it. That should be a signal that that they should get help because something is really way off. Uh, And the next time that that does happen is, yeah, after a few days. And I think it's just cumulatively of a baby feeding with a poor latch or something going on in a few days cumulatively. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I've also found from experience is that's when the pain meds start to wear off. That's when you're out of your script and, you know, or moms who have had a section, they get pain meds for maybe a week. And then that's when their pain really kicks in when they're not taking pain medications for their incision. Now they don't have that on board and now they're really feeling the pain from breastfeeding. What is the um, the kind of the arc of pain? Like, is it typical to have like pain intensify, but then, but then I know in my experience, I like got over this hump and then the pain just was gone. Like, it's like my breast had to just get used to the, the new function. I'm not really quite sure that that's the case. I think what happens is that moms and babies perhaps... When, when you fall into the category that it's it's pain initially and then gradually gets better and then two or three weeks later, all is good with the world. Mm-hmm. In those particular cases, there's probably not a mommy breast nipple anatomy issue or a baby oral anatomy or positioning issue. It's probably more about the latch just wasn't as good as it could have been. And then with practice, most moms are reading, they're looking on the internet, they're making changes to the position and latch, they're now using a different pillow, you know, so they're changing with their whole setup. And by and large, within one to two to three weeks, they've got it figured out and there's no more pain. That's likely the case when there was no anatomical issues. But other mothers, there are things that get in the way that no matter 
how much they practice, how much they change what they're doing, uh, their pillows, their position, et cetera. It's just getting worse and worse. And while that could totally still be a latch issue, it often also means that there's something else going on with her anatomy or the baby's anatomy. So are there some women who experience no pain at all? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, the, the funny thing is, is that while I do see women in my practice who experience no pain and they make an appointment afterwards, it's usually because I've met with them in class or had a consult with them prenatally. And they just have, they come in and they're like, nothing's hurting and the baby's gaining. So all is going well, but I just still have tons of questions. And I figured, you know, just come in with you. I have my whole list of questions on my app here and let me boom, 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 just ask you one after the other. So yes, but a big part of my practice is moms who are having problems because that's why they're making the appointment. But I've also been around enough moms, thousands of mothers, because I run breastfeeding groups. I've worked in a, a breastfeeding store where the employees all are breastfeeding their babies. So I'm very much aware that there are millions of women who give birth and there's just no pain and it goes fairly smoothly as far as breastfeeding and pain. But they're still just getting used to breastfeeding and positioning and being a new mom and sitting down for you know, long periods of time feeding their baby and everything that it takes for the newness of it. And, but along with those moms that it goes beautifully. Yeah. Like it did with my baby number two and three, I almost didn't think it was possible because baby number one was so horrible, but yeah, there's many a woman who give birth and it's pain-free and goes fairly smoothly. And there's just as many, if not more, who get off to a really hard start, whether it's pain or just my baby won't breastfeed, like what's going on here and, and other milk supply issues, baby weight loss issues and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's really unique to everyone. It's not, it's not like just because your mother or your friend had a certain experience, that's what you'll have too. Exactly. Yeah. And we tend to think that and sometimes moms, here's the interesting thing is I'll get calls from a mom. They're like, I'm almost embarrassed to call you. This is my fourth baby. I'm a La Leche League leader, or this is my third baby. And I breastfed two for over two years. And now my third baby, I'm just in so much pain. And what I already know is unless she's had some major breast surgery or something going on with her health that, and, or done something, you know, with her breasts, that the difference in that picture is she's a, an experienced mom but what's different? She has a new baby. And for any of us who have more than one children, we clearly see that these cutie little pies, they have different likes and dislikes <laughs> and they, they move their body differently. They stand and sit and sleep differently. They eat differently and little new babies, we can't put them all in the same little box. And so what's different about her case? So I tell that mom, I totally understand your experience and you know how to do this, but I bet you there's something going on with your baby that will be helpful to know. Yeah. So it's not even the same as, you know, someone, you know, but it's also different baby to baby. 
Exactly. And and just because, you know, like I, I met with a mom, I mean, it's just so clear in my head because it was just yesterday. Her mom breastfed five babies and she is battering herself because she's struggling with her first baby mm. and her mother has been trying to help her. But her baby actually has some anatomical issues that's different. So we expect if our mother breastfed five of our siblings and had no problem with milk supply, why wouldn't we expect that it would go nice and easy for us? I mean, I certainly would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that key word is expectation, isn't it? That's true for a lot of things. Exactly. It's almost, it's almost better to kind of have an ideal set of preferences and think about what you would prefer and have a very thoughtful and considered approach in mind. But be open to the idea that it may not go the way that you think it might. Yes, I often say to my husband, you know, with with this subject and other subjects, like, of course, we we have our own little, you know, dreams and fantasies and expectations in our head. I'm in my own little world. And if I'm surrounded by a woman who breastfeeding has gone well or or I think it has because I wasn't privy to those early few weeks with them intimately, then, of course, I mean, I would do the same thing. I did do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I expected it to be easy and smooth and I mean, I, I learned afterwards, like, what was I thinking? But that's exactly what I was thinking, expecting things to go, you know, as they should. Totally. So what can we tell the expecting parents about things they can do to help as much as possible, set them up for success right out of the gate? I think preparation is so important. And this is for breastfeeding. And you, we talk also a lot about the fourth trimester afterwards. But in breastfeeding specifically, I do think that it's helpful for moms to take a breastfeeding class or meet privately with a consultant. And the breastfeeding class, they should also inquire, like, what does it include? Because when I was teaching for the hospital, I had to do their whole PowerPoint presentation. And in a two-hour class, I needed to talk about the benefits and I also needed to talk about pumping and weaning, which actually left little time to talk about the art and science of the first few days of breastfeeding and getting off to a good start. And because we know that the initiation rate for breastfeeding is way up there, which we're thrilled is about 85% in the United States anyway, but the drop-off rate three or four weeks later is only half of those moms are exclusively breastfeeding. They may have totally gone to formula or they may be pumping and bottle feeding or they may be partly breastfeeding and partly bottle feeding, whether it's their milk or formula. And so because all that happens in the first four, four weeks, what I design my classes around and what I think other parents should take is a class that really is designed for what do I need to know for those first few weeks? How do I get off to a good start? You don't need information detailed about the benefits, I think, because most of us know enough to know. And we don't really need much information on pumping and weaning because once you get going with breastfeeding, the other stuff is easier to get. So for a class to really be focused on how do you really get off to a good start? What are the what are the most common issues that moms have early on? Why they have them, what you can do to prevent them. So and a good class. And the other thing is I have so many moms say, does my partner need to come? And I think that it is so important they get like a big fat yes from me in capital letters with exclamation points if it's via email, because I think that your partner should also learn every single thing about breastfeeding that you're learning 
because they're going to be the ones who are going to be spending the time with you. So I did a show, a podcast actually with Tim Johnson, who's actually a midwife and an IVCLC. And he's, he, he had a saying that I asked him if I could steal it from him. And he said, sure, because he's stolen it from someone else. And he said that breastfeeding education should start the minute the pee hits the stick. And, <laughs> and I really, really like that. And so he gets both parents, both partners learning about breastfeeding each month from the very beginning. And I think that that's crucial because lots of partners say, well, I really can't do anything. I can get her meals. I can bring her food. But they can learn what makes a good latch, what makes a poor latch. They can learn breastfeeding is not supposed to hurt. And if it's hurting, get help. They can learn that pain, engorgement, low milk supply, that those are probably the three biggest issues in the early days. And so they can learn why it happens, how to prevent it. And if it happens and they can't figure it out, they're more motivated to make a call for help sooner rather than staying home for days and days and days and days and days and days days trying to figure out on their own. So really learning about the early days of breastfeeding is crucial. What are some specific ways a partner can support a new breastfeeding mom? If there are any dads listening, what, what role do they play? Again, I come back to start learning about breastfeeding the minute the pee hits the stick. I really, I want, I want them to, I do. And I want them to learn what constitutes a good latch. Like, I don't just want her to know because, you know, when you're postpartum and you're, you're kind of bleeding from one end, you're leaking from another end, or you have a scission in another area, you're just not yourself and you're so sleep deprived. So wouldn't it be great if the person who's spending time with you can actually take a look at what you're doing and say, you know, you know, sweetie, that is a good latch or you know what? You're holding the baby in a really awkward position, like they said, and that might be one of the reasons. So here, let's try this or that they know the benefits of good positioning, a good pillow, using a stool. So in other words, what happens is that in the beginning, nobody has the knowledge, but then a lot of moms have some of the knowledge, but they're too in the thick of it. I need for that other person, the dads, to have the same knowledge. So that is the absolute biggest way that they can be a support is to not think that just because they can't actually put the baby to the breast that they don't really need to know much. So yes, it's great and wonderful if they could feed her, if they can make sure she's hydrated, they could take care of the baby in between breastfeeding. Like when she's done, maybe that's going to be her only time to pee and take care of personal hygiene and, and eat something quickly or take a quick nap. If they can just literally take the baby from them, change a diaper, rock, calm the baby and do whatever needs to be done with the baby so she can go and take care of her personal needs. Because frequently what happens is she's sitting burping, she's changing the diaper, she's everything. And then when the baby is finally asleep, she tries to take care of her personal needs. And I think that the guys should just get in there, like do every single thing except for actually breastfeeding (laughs) their baby. And they can also be what I call lovingly the police person. So some of us moms, we have a, a, a greater voice and we have no problem telling people, I don't really want visitors now, but there's enough of us who don't 
um, have that ability to do so. We feel bad turning anybody away, the relatives or friends. We feel bad not answering Facebook posts and et cetera, et cetera. And so if the guys are that police person and collecting that meal at the door and not letting them inside the door just for a peek, that would be great. If people do come visit, for them to be the hard person, you know, to be that person to put a time limit on it and tell everybody that at a certain point they do need to go. Because as women, I know I'm stereotyping, but I think there's enough of us who just want to be nice and kind to people. And we know they're excited to see the baby and we just don't have the nerve to tell them to go, to not come or to go home. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. And like, those might seem like little things like helping change the baby or, or hold the baby while they're sleeping so that mom can sleep too. Those are a big deal. Yeah, it could free up because after you finish breastfeeding and the average breastfeeding for moms who aren't in that, in that mode yet, an average breastfeeding can take up to 45 minutes to an hour between both sides, burping in between, calming a baby changing their diaper and settling them. It could easily be an hour to an hour and a half. And what if you were able to knock off a half hour times eight feedings a day? That gives you an additional four hours to, to like I said, just sit quietly or splash some water on your face or take a quick shower or take a power nap or eat something decent that your partner that the dad has made for you. And that's why I say literally, there's this thing where I wish that dads would be in the mode of doing every single thing else, be willing to help with other than the actual art of breastfeeding your baby, because that can free up so much time. And some moms are hesitant. They, they We actually don't even want to give up their baby, even if our partners are willing to. So if your partners are seeing her stressed out, really tired, sleep deprived, you need to do what you can to encourage her to lovingly say, I can care for the baby in these things to allow you to sleep. So some mothers just don't even want to give up their babies. And I was definitely one of those. And I, to me, it made, it made me, I think I didn't realize until afterwards, but I think it made me feel like I wasn't a good mother. If I was giving my baby, even to my husband to change a diaper, to rock, to soothe, to do whatever that I wasn't doing my job or that he couldn't do it good enough. So I had all of those mental issues that I definitely over by the second baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It feels good to dads to know that they're, that they're empowered and that they're able to help and contribute. I think that's, I mean, to any partner, it's a, it's a nice feeling. Yeah, because what happens is they're learning along with you. You're both kind of green at it. And what happens if moms do most of this most of the time, you get really good at it. Your partner sees how good you get at it. And then they start feeling lacking, like I can't calm the baby. I can't soothe the baby. I can't change the diapers as good as you. I don't pick out the right outfits like you do. I And they, they start feeling less and less of, um, of of helpful and see you just getting better and better at this job. So for both of them to just get right in there at the very beginning is, I think, probably one of the best tips I can give for dads. Yeah, it sort of goes back to the planning piece, you know, sit down and talk beforehand about what what everybody's role is. Um, we had a great episode talking about planning for postpartum. So, well, I mean, if you haven't listened to it already, episode two, preparing to enjoy the fourth trimester, Esther Gallagher, who's been a doula for decades, um, kind of gives a, a little online listen along course. Um, so you can just kind of get out pen and paper and follow along. 
Um, but also we have one, um, episode 19, I highly recommend it's four relationship saving questions to ask before baby arrives. And like some of the topics revolve around thinking about everybody's role and how they contribute and what that looks like. Because again, expectations come up, people will kind of assume things go one way or the other. Mom wants to be the only one to pick out outfits. Okay, fine. Maybe everyone knows that, but she doesn't necessarily want to do everything. Like <laughs> it's kind of nice to air that air that out ahead of time. So I highly recommend that episode. So, uh, all right, let's change gears a little bit. So breast pumps, <laughs> I want to talk about breast pumps because being pregnant, being in preparing nursery baby shower mode, all of these things are so much excitement. It just seems like one additional item to put on your purchase list. What do you have to say about breast pumps and insurance? I think that the insurance, I know that the insurance companies, most of them are doing a much better job than they were even a few short years ago of getting good pumps to moms in a very reasonable time frame. While I can't speak for each individual insurance company, some you can actually get your pump ahead of time. So these are, this is part of that preparation is for moms to start taking a look at what their insurance company provides, what kind of pumps that they some insurance companies don't give you a choice. Some do give you a choice. Some, if you want to upgrade, you can to a better pump, but you might need to put some money towards it. So it's really good to not make an assumption that after you have the baby, but before you go back to work, that you should then start calling up your insurance company and finding about this whole pumping thing. So you can do that months ahead of time and get all that stuff out of the way. And that also enables you to take the list of pumps that you're offered and start doing some research of your own. And you can look at reviews online, which are all great, but also start talking to other moms. Like if you're working now and there are other moms who are pumping, most of them not only don't mind you asking questions, it's a great, uh, you just will learn so much when you start asking moms about the pumps that they're using and why they like them. And there's nothing like talking to moms who are in the trenches about all the little hacks that go along with pumps, like not only what kind of pump, but how do you coordinate all this? You can get all that information like other moms are such a wealth of information before you even go up to maternity leave. So use those moms. Most of them will love talking to you about it. So definitely get in touch with your insurance company. The other thing that I wanted to say is a couple of things. And this this is more clearer now going through everything that's happening now with the, the hurricanes is that sometimes you don't have a pump. You've lost your pump. You've you've had a disaster. Your pump is broken or in these times you've needed to evacuate, didn't take your pump, couldn't find all the parts, and now you don't have one. Well, there's one thing that I think every mother should do. There's actually two things. One is to, on your own, invest in a manual pump. That's one. It's usually under $50. You can get it yourself and you can learn how to use it. You don't have to, it doesn't you can do one side at a time and you don't need electricity for it. So there are lots of moms. I mean, I've donated in this hurricane pump parts and et cetera to moms 
who don't have them. They fleed without it. And now they're at a loss. Well, if they just had a, a, a very small handheld pump, they could have grabbed that. And it might not have been the most convenient, but it would have done the job. The other thing is women can look up hand expression, but I often tell women in disasters, you have a right arm or a left arm, a left hand, you can hand express. I've seen more women be at work with a, a, a pump part that broke and they didn't do anything and they're getting more and more and more engorged and they just didn't know about hand expression. So coming back to your original question, definitely contacting your pump company ahead of time. Some of them need a prescription from your doctor or midwife or pediatrician for, to, in order for you to get a pump. So some have requirements, so you can get all of that out of the way ahead of time. But also as far as expectations, don't expect the pump that you get to be your be all end all. You might get caught short and that's where having your own hand pump and learning about hand expression really come in. Because again, the focus is, oh, I'll just get my electric pump. And then we don't expect for a disaster to happen. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I would just add one bonus of having that little hand pump as a backup is that if you're going on a short day trip or God forbid your first overnight away from baby. Um, <laughs> whenever, yeah, whenever that happens, um, you know, your breast may end up being in a lot of pain unless you're able to just quickly pump and dump a little bit of milk. And that smaller handheld job is light and easy to throw in a carry-on suitcase versus the heavy, large bag of stuff that the electrical pump comes along with. So just yes. a tip. Great point. I also wanted to mention, like, do you have an opinion on breastfeeding accessories? Again, speaking from personal experience, I bought way more than I needed. And I think it's probably different person to person. But like, do you have thoughts on the pads, the breast pads, the leak pads, the frozen pads, all of that stuff or, or other accessories? Well, Sarah, I have a lot to say about this okay. <laughs> and you and you will stop me if I go on too long because this is like a one of my things I get on the pulpit about and I hope that your listeners have a sense of humor. If they don't now before they've had their baby, they probably will get a sense of humor about the whole breastfeeding thing afterwards and not have such a, uh, a thin skin as some of us do, I think, before we have a baby. I think that we definitely, it's its become this thing where breastfeeding has actually become a very expensive thing to do. And it doesn't necessarily need to be, especially when you're starting off. So my little joke is basically you need a baby and a pair of boobs. And that's where I hope people have a sense of humor because that's really all you need. So like when my years ago, when I had my baby, pennies carried one nursing bra and it was almost like this a corset and it wasn't comfortable. And the shirts, we didn't really have great nursing shirts. It was like I was trying to pull my breast through this small little slit in this shirt and it didn't work really well. And so I just wound up buying a larger Hanes t-shirt for the early days and having a sports bra like, and that worked for me. So I think women tend to buy way too many accessories. And I think really what will be helpful is the joke is yes, baby and boo. But I also think having a, a good breastfeeding supportive pillow can be helpful for moms who plan on 
sitting up and feeding their baby. Some moms, when they learn about breastfeeding, they think, I don't want to be laying down, or they might have back issues where they can't be laying down and they will need to be sitting up. So a nice supportive pillow and one or two really nice nursing bras that you could buy during your pregnancy. Don't want to buy too many. You want to get a feel for it and see if this is working well for you and if it's comfortable for you. And then to do a lot of your research ahead of time and think, well, what else might I want and have a whole list and you could go on the computer, send it off to whatever website or send someone in your family with that shopping list of what to buy. If you find you need all of those things, nursing pads are great. You can get four or eight of them and they can be ones that are reusable cotton ones. Other than that, you know, a, a bra, a pillow, nursing pads, baby and boob. A lot of the other stuff is just a lot of fun. And for some people, luxury items. And certainly if you want to go on the outside, certainly if you're going back to work and need to dress for the part, then you can spend some money on proper clothes, shirts, dresses so that you can breastfeed or get on the pump easily. But to be buying creams and lotions and seven pair of bras and all kinds of pads. And I, I, I go to mom's homes. I see literally three different pillows because they weren't sure which worked the best. They have all different kinds of pads. They have so many nursing bras. And then here's the funny thing with, with lactation consultants. We often have a, like a little joke in saying all this money was put into stuff. And then for some mothers, when they're having breastfeeding problems, they may hesitate to call or pay for help because their funds are all exhausted. And maybe you didn't need to buy all that stuff because now you have all this stuff. And what if breastfeeding isn't working out for you? What are you going to do with all this stuff? And your money would have been best spent hiring someone to help you. And so that's the other little piece when you talk about what do you need for breastfeeding. I would also add to put some money aside ahead of time in case you should need breastfeeding help. If you don't and it's going smoothly, then I think, hey, you can go out for a nice dinner with your significant other or in a short while get a massage or just do get your nails or do something. That money will never, ever go to waste, right? But to prepare ahead of time, for some money to get help if you need be. So I could, I, I, you could see I have a strong opinion about this subject because I do think people buy way too much stuff ahead of time. And I'd like for them to just get the basics, do their research ahead of time of what they might need and have that list available of where to get it, but don't spend tons of money ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I definitely fell into the category of buying more than I needed. And I just had this surplus of pads. I mean, I just didn't want to use any of it. Like I, I, it's not like, oh, no, it's inconvenient. It was like I actively didn't want anything touching me. <laughs> um, so that might differ person to person. But, you know, some of this stuff, I wait until you actually think you need it. I, I agree. I did find it useful to get a couple of um, tank tops that had like the clips at the top. So it was kind of like, a built-in bra into a shirt, like yes. a, like a very like thin material, bare bones, like tank top that was cute that I could wear with pajama bottoms that I felt were like my, <laughs> my good at home pajama look. 
Yes, I which love I those. which I rocked for months, but um, but but yeah, that was nice to have like a, to actually feel like because then it was just like one item instead of a bra and a shirt. These little optimizations, honestly, they really do help. So yeah, so thank you so much for that overview. What do you want to tell us about all about mothering as we wrap up? I developed all about mothering as I had most of the in the work that I do, even with breastfeeding under the heading of, boy, I wish someone would have told me. And then I often say fill in the blanks about how many hours a day you'd be breastfeeding, that it's not supposed to hurt, that it's nice to get help and all those other things. I designed allaboutmothering.com as a place for people to go to so they could learn a lot about all of those things that they surely wish someone would have told them. And it really takes moms who are thinking about becoming pregnant through the whole conception, because some people don't even think about what they might need to do before they even become pregnant. Like Again, it goes under that heading of, we don't know what we don't know. So this site really talks about the things that you will likely want to know, and you don't want to have to play guessing games or afterwards say, I wish someone would have told me. So I cover the conception through pregnancy, talk about all the stages of pregnancy, and talk about birth, breastfeeding, and a lot of what your show is about, about the fourth trimester up until the time your baby turns a year. And it's the concept is to have a lot of the need-to-know information all in one place, because the internet is great. It can also be very overwhelming to have to search for all the little parts to all of the most common things that happen to us during this space between pregnancy and the first year. So that's the, what the site is about. It, I do have to say that at the moment it is September, 2017, and I'm working on building it, but there's certainly enough there for people's interest. And inside the group, I have videos of experts. So someone talking about postpartum exercises, someone talking about midwifery and why, what a midwife is and, and what you might do. I have a woman talking about, interesting, talking about breastfeeding, about a topic that hardly anybody talks about, which is breastfeeding aversion. In other words, some women give birth and they wanted nothing to do with breastfeeding, but they find that when they're breastfeeding, they absolutely hate it. And they have a hard time telling people that this is what they feel. And it actually is like a medical, almost like a medical condition. And so I like to bring in expert speakers and I place those videos on the site who talk about things that we're just not generally exposed to. And that would be a nice to know. So that is the, the allaboutmothering.com. And if anyone is interested, they can go to allaboutmothering.com and find out more about the site and about registering for this group. Great. Yeah. Gone are the days of, of village maternal elders who are sharing all of this knowledge and expertise. So it's kind of nice to have resources like yours um, available to moms. So thank you. You're welcome. I would be remiss, actually, if I didn't <laughs> remember our episode 23 with Kimberly Seals Allers. She wrote a book called The Big Letdown. So we did talk a lot about breastfeeding on that episode too, although we we covered a slightly different genre of topics. So um, please do listen to that episode too, if you're really honing in on the breastfeeding topic um, or listen to it in general, because... <laughs> 
Kimberly is amazing. But yeah, I wanted to thank you so, so much, Lori, for being on our program today. You are such a wonderful guest and I learned so much from you. You are very welcome. I wanted to add just one little thing in talking about the All About Mothering site. Yeah, I just wanted to mention where when you're podcasting, these things are sometimes timely. And I wanted to mention that up until September 30th, 2017, I have a summer special going on. So you could join the membership. It's $30 for the first three months. And then after that, it's changing to $30 per month. And so I welcome any questions. You can, you'll get my email. So if anybody has any questions about the site before they join, you're welcome to inquire with me. And I really thank you so much for this opportunity, Sarah. I really enjoyed imparting some breastfeeding information to you and your guests. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lori. All of our listeners, please go to fourthtrimesterpodcast.com to read more about Lori and allaboutmothering.com and to sign up for the Fourth Trimester Podcast newsletter and to sponsor the Fourth Trimester Podcast. Please do that. Um, And so we will sign off and speak to you next time. Thank you. Bye, Lori. Bye. You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. song I sing a song for you